friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Now, before I go further into this, this text, because we're starting in chapter 6, I need to give you some context. It's always important when you're reading the Bible that you don't just pull out verses out of their context. So you need to know where they're coming from and what's ahead of them and what's behind them. Anytime that you're reading scripture or else you're going to apply something the Bible never said and you're going to like, this is my my life verse. And it's like, you have no idea what that means. So we want to have some context about what's happening in the text. And Isaiah does an amazing job giving us that context. In this verse, because Isaiah has this amazing encounter with the Lord, but he starts out that encounter with this saying, in the year the king Uzziah died. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, right? He wasn't our king. That's a long time ago for us. We don't really understand fully what that means, but Isaiah is saying it because he's going to, it's framing what what he's going to experience in the presence of God. Because in the year that Uzziah the king died, in ancient Israel and Judah, in their history, that's the year things began to unravel for the people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. That's when everything began to crumble right before their eyes. See, we've got to read about King Uzziah this week in in 2 Chronicles 26 and also in 2 Kings chapter 15. Kings calls him Azariah, but it's actually the the same king. And he was recognized as a good and faithful king. He followed after God. He won a lot of battles. He built some amazing things that were way ahead of their time when it came to warfare. He served 52 years as king, but later in his life he became prideful. Based on his own achievements and his own notoriety and the peace that was far spread because of his kingdom, and he overstepped his position, the Bible tells us, And he went into the temple to burn incense for himself, which was not his position. It was something reserved only for the priests. And in that moment, as the priests ran in to stop him, he grew angry. And in his anger, the Lord rebuked him by having leprosy break out. The Bible says it broke out beginning on his forehead. And he rushed out of the temple. And sadly, he spent the rest of his days in obscurity. See, Uzziah was a great king who died tragically a death of obscurity when he should have been honored. He he died and put away, not even buried with the other kings of Judah because of his disease. And Isaiah, in that climate, had a vision from God and God sitting on his throne. Here's what I want to highlight about Isaiah what he could possibly be experiencing in the year that King Uzziah died. I would imagine because he was a prophet to the king and he was a prophet to the nations that in that moment he had a heavy heart because a good king, a king that reigned for 52 years and the nations saw the blessing of God upon them had suddenly been taken out. And his heart was heavy. Maybe the other thing that he was feeling, feeling was a heart that was saddened because a good king died a tragic death and 
was not honored the way he thought perhaps he should have been honored because he was prideful before his last breath. And on top of that, in this year of sadness from losing a great king, the nation of Judah was coming under attack from the Assyrian army. You remember from your reading, the, the, the nation under David that was once united was split. And then Israel was the nation to the north and Judah was to the kingdom to the south. And in the year that King Uzziah died, it was, in the, beginning of the, it was the beginning of the end for the people of Judah. Because in that year, the empire of Assyria made its first move on the kingdom of Israel and went in and decimated the nation taking its people captive and robbing it of its riches and carrying the people off into captivity. And Assyria kept coming. They kept taking more land. They kept slaughtering more people, completely destroying the kingdom of Israel and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. It was in that year. Say that year. It was in that year. It was a horrible time for the people of Judah and it began with the death of their king. It wasn't, just a, it wasn't just a rough year. You've had rough years? Have anybody had rough years? Yeah, we've had rough years. It wasn't just a bad year. It was a horrible year. It was like 2020 married 9-11. And all of the horrible stuff just came together all at once. I mean, 2020 was a horrible year, right? But it was beyond that experience for them because the one that they had their hope in now is gone and a great army is coming against them and they have reason to fear because in the first five chapters of Isaiah God uses Isaiah to tell the people you've messed up for far too long you've gone in the wrong direction so far now that some bad things are going to happen and I'm going to let them happen to you and it's in that year when life was a complete mess, when everything that the people had uh, hoped for, everything that they believed was right and normal in their life had been stripped away from them and their immediate future did not look bright. And it's in that kind of climate that Isaiah had the vision of God upon his throne. I find that interesting, don't you? That this prophet who had been called to the nations and also called to the nation of Judah who was hearing clearly from the Lord and speaking on God's behalf to his people had not had a vision like this before until everything came crumbling down. He'd had, he had been given visions by God before. He had called the nation of Judah to repentance in the first five chapters. But it wasn't until everything collided at the death of King Uzziah that he had a clear picture of who God is and what God oversees. And as I was writing this message, church, I began to see some of your faces, and I felt like this morning some of you are in or have gone through a year like King Uzziah when he died, and maybe you are about to go into one. Can I encourage you this morning? It could be that in the most difficult year of your life that you'll see the clearest vision of who God is in your life if you'll hang on to Jesus. Perhaps the greatest thing that you uh, would ever experience, the, the thing that you feared, the thing that you dreaded is happening or is about to happen to you. 
But it's in that kind of climate that God will reveal to you a clearer vision of who he is if you'll hang on to him. See, the first five chapters of Judah, of, of Isaiah for Judah was not bright either. God said to the nation, I called you to be a people, to be light in the nations. I planted you to be like a vineyard to produce my sweet wine of love for all people, and you blew it. And you've gone too far, and now the consequences of your destructive behavior are coming, and, it's, and I'm going to let it happen. And I will cut down, you'll be cut down by invaders, and the only thing that will remain is a stump. But someday, a faithful shoot will rise from that stump. And Isaiah was talking prophetically about the one who is to come named Jesus. So even in the midst of all of our chaos and brokenness and hopelessness, there still remains hope, and his name is Jesus. See, for Isaiah, the courage it took to bring such a harsh word was powerful, but he had to do it because the people had forgotten who they were and who God had called them to be. What I also think is interesting, and sometimes we miss out on it, is because we aren't there, and we, we aren't seeing what the prophet is experiencing, and we have to understand that as Isaiah was speaking these things of this doomsday coming upon the people, that he was also declaring it over his own home and his own people and his own neighborhood. And he had to live in it and live through it even though he served God and loved God. Sometimes we think it's happening to them, but it would never happen to me. And Isaiah is saying, I'm collateral damage in this and my heart is breaking that my people are broken. That my people have rejected the God that I serve and have shunned him and turned away from his voice, the voice that I speak to them. See, even though we follow Christ, it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us or around us. We live in a fallen world with fallen people all around us. Much like Isaiah did in his time. And as Isaiah proclaimed the message to his people, he had to experience the fall of his own people too. The Bible says that he wept over them. And through it all, through all of that, he sees the glory of God. Even while the world is falling apart around him, he says God is on his throne. I don't want us to miss that this morning. Even though the world might be falling around all around us, or it, it feels like the world that we're in, or even in our immediate circle, the sphere is falling apart, God is still on his throne. Do you believe that this morning? Isaiah writes that he sees the train of God's robe fill the temple. It's a perfect picture of God's majesty. Sometimes we sing this song. There was an old song we used to sing. Talking about the train, and we were, I didn't even know what that meant, really, when I was a little kid. I always pictured a real train. But sometimes we miss that, too, because not a lot of us are walking around in robes anymore with long trains. But the purpose of that was to demonstrate that the person who was wearing it was so magnificent that they had others to serve with them because they couldn't move freely in that robe. It, 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 it signified their, their dignity. Right, think about a, a, a bride on her wedding day, the huge long trains that people used to have. I think about like Princess Diana when she got married. I wasn't into that, by the way. I was like, it was before my time. But I just remember seeing a picture in case you guys think I care about the royal family at all. I don't, uh, except that they need Jesus. But anyway, 
she had a super long train that went like halfway down the church, right? And, and, and it signified that she was so uh, important that others had to wait on her and serve her to make sure that nothing got hung up in the train. So when Isaiah is saying, I saw God Almighty high and lifted up upon his throne and his train, fill, his robe filled the temple. It was saying, this is the God who is who, who everyone serves him and waits on him and loves him and honors him and, and cherishes him so much that he doesn't have to lift a finger. That's how powerful he is. That's what he's saying. The larger the robe, the more important the person in God's train filled the temple. And it signified the importance and the power of the person wearing it. But it also made me think as I was reading that, it made me think about Jesus because Paul says in Philippians that Jesus disrobed. He emptied himself as he came to earth. Because Jesus saw the significance of what was happening on earth and he took off his royal robes and he stepped into humanity and got his hands dirty and his feet dirty to live with us and live amongst us. Because he wanted to be with us and I saw this picture, and I, I just love this imagery that Isaiah sees God in the midst of everything that's falling apart all around him. And he says, God is on his throne, and he doesn't have to do a thing, yet Jesus did something for us. He didn't, listen, he didn't have to do that. He could have left us all to die and get what we deserve. Don't ever think for a moment that Jesus owed you anything. He didn't have to take off his mighty robe. He didn't have to step out of his glory and into humanity. He didn't have to. He chose to because he loves you. He loves you. He came down off of his throne to walk with us, to have sleepless nights, to feel hunger, to feel cold, to be betrayed and beaten and spat upon and hung on a cross, not because he had to, because he wanted to. And Isaiah sees God in all of his glory and majesty on his throne. And then he sees these creatures, this, these seraphim, these burning ones, because you can't get in the presence of God and remain untouched by him. You can't be lukewarm in the presence of God. Isaiah didn't see lukewarm ones flying around the temple. No, he saw burning ones flying around. Why? Because as we get into the presence of God, he does something in us, and we begin to burn for him. Do you agree? Do you want to burn for the Lord? Do you have a desire inside of you? He sees these creatures flying, these seraphim, these burning ones flying above and around the throne room of God. With six wings crying out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. That verse always sticks out to me because I think, sometimes I think in another translation that it's filled and it made me think of past tense. But this is a present tense thing. His earth is currently filled with his glory even now. The earth is filled with God's glory. Maybe it doesn't feel like it right now for you. Maybe if you look at the world around us, we think how can, God, how can the earth be filled with his glory even now? And yet it is. And it is currently being declared in heaven that the earth is now, to this day, filled with the glory of God. And their cries shook the foundations of the temple. And it made me wonder, as I was reading this text, 
Now, is it okay if I just let you in on how I read the texts? I'm kind of just uh, parsing it out as I was studying it, and so this is kind of how I begin to read. But as I was reading this and looking at the fact that their, their praise, not even, it wasn't even directed to God, it was just to each other saying, he's so holy. He's so, he's so holy. It wasn't as if God was sitting there saying, praise me, praise me, pra- worship me. No, he didn't need to do it. He doesn't need our praise. But they couldn't, they could not be silent in his presence. And they were saying to each other, he's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. Our God is holy. He's mighty. He's one. They begin to, they're telling to each other. And as they began to say it to each other, the foundations of heaven shook. Whose builder is God. It, it wasn't shoddy craftsmanship that made the building shake. It was the, the, the sound of their praise shook the temple. A side note as well. I'm doing a lot of side notes. But this speaks of, some theologians think this, this only helps illuminate the fact of the Godhead, the Trinity. Because they're flying around and they're flying by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. They're all holy. The God, three in one, is holy. It also talks about, in Hebrew culture, that every time that you, you repeat a word, it, 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 it makes it more powerful, more clear, and more precise. So they're saying this God is not just holy, he's not just holy, holy, he is holy, 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 magnifying the greatness of his holiness. And their worship rattled the temple and shook the foundations. And I began to think, surely our praise should be louder than the angels in heaven. Surely when we worship, it should be louder than the angels in heaven. Why? Because the the angels that are in heaven never experienced a fallen state, but we have. And he redeemed us. See, Jesus didn't die to redeem the angels. He died to redeem us. So we, how much more should our praise be to God? I understand there are moments for silent reflection. That's good. But I think that our praise should be loud and bolsterous because we understand where, where he has saved us from and what he is saving us to. Come on, sometimes I just want to shake this place to its foundation with our praise. You see me up here trying to do white boy dance. This is what I got. That's all I got. But I'm trying to shake the foundations. I I got my little two-step bunny hop, but I'm trying to shake the foundations with my praise. And I want all of us to get to that place. They say, God, you think the seraphim are loud. Wait till I worship you. God, you think the angels choir... Is, gonna, is rattling, wait till I lift my voice to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who took me out of darkness and brought me into light. I want to be that kind of person who has that kind of praise. Don't ever let the enemy try to silence your praise. We said last week there is power in your praise. So let the enemy hear your praise. I don't care if it sounds pretty or not, don't matter. God said it's a sweet sound to him. I don't know, he's got filters somehow on his ears. But you, you lift your voice to heaven because he inhabits the praises of his people. And I want to shake the foundations of heaven with my praise. And it was in light of all this that Isaiah saw in 
the throne room of God, and Isaiah cries out. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, or I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is profound to me because it's the worst year of Isaiah's life. He's lost a great king. His people have turned their back on the one true God. They're now about to be destroyed by an invading army because of their choices and their sin and refusing to know God and worship him. And yet in this moment, in God's presence, it caused him to cry out, I'm lost and I'm done in for. It was a moment in, his, in, in the presence of God that shifted his perspective. It was as if he said, all those things that are going on around me that I'm experiencing that feel like hell all around me doesn't compare to the greatness of who God is who sits on the throne of heaven ruling over all. And in the presence of God, Isaiah's position and perspective shifts. See, there's a lot of things that happen in our world, a lot of bad things. And we can have righteous anger towards those things. But sometimes things happen to us and we don't get angry at those things, we get angry at God. How could you let this happen? Why would you allow this to happen? Why, why aren't you doing something about it? And all of that righteous indignation, instead of going against the one who brings death, destruction, and corruption, Satan, we turn it towards God, saying, why aren't you doing something about it? And yet Isaiah, when he comes into the presence of God, he isn't able to say, why aren't you stopping this? All he says is he sees his own wretchedness in the presence of a holy God. That opened my eyes. Because there are times we feel like we have the right to say to God, you should do this, this, or this. It should be done these ways. But when we get into his presence, we recognize, who am I to speak to the righteous and holy king this way? And it's not to, it's not to say that our feelings aren't, how do I say this? It's not to say that our, our feelings aren't real. And even justified in those moments. But God wants to give us a change of perspective. And we see this first position that Isaiah holds as he encounters the presence of the living God sitting on his throne. And as he sees his own wretchedness and his own filth. He cries out to God, but God cares so much for us and so much for Isaiah that he doesn't leave him in that position. The first position that Isaiah has as he cries out, woe is me, is a position face down before God. If you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. Face down. Even in the most difficult year of his life, when Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God, he doesn't blame God for the hardships or for the pain or for the disappointment. He falls on his face in confession, in repentance, in remorse for not living up to the standard of a holy God. That's a challenge, isn't it? 
we would all like to say that that's us, but we all know that that's not in a lot of, in a lot of ways. When things happen in life that we don't want to happen, that we wish didn't happen, that wish didn't work out that way, when we fail, we try to launch a business and it falls completely flat, when we, when we try to launch a ministry and no one shows up, when we, when we are trying to do things with family or reach out to friends and it just keeps to, continues to fall apart, we often don't have this kind of response where we fall on our face before God. We usually are shaking the fist at him. And yet Isaiah is confronted with the greatness of God and he walks and falls on his face before him. See, when we come into the presence of God, I pray that we'll all have that same response. And our God, being loving and gracious and merciful, doesn't leave us in this broken state of sorrow and repentance because he desires to cleanse us and purify us. God doesn't just stand up in heaven saying, yeah, you're right, you're horrible, I'm holy. And he has every right to do that, doesn't he? He could say, yeah, you're right. You turned your back on me. You, you sought after trash instead of treasure. And I'm going to leave you in your trash. No, he doesn't do that, though. What does he do? He tells the seraphim, go grab a coal from the altar. Fly to him. Purify him. And get him on his feet. See, our God desires to cleanse us. He desires to purify us with his holy fire. And it's in that moment that Isaiah experienced the seraphim flying and grabbing a burning coal from the altar. I, I thought it's interesting, too, that he used tongs. I, I could imagine that the seraphim was powerful enough to just grab the fire from the altar, but he couldn't touch it because of its holiness. It was actually signifying the, the holiness of Jesus touching his people. No one can touch it but the God of heaven alone. And he grabs the burning coal and he touches the lips of Isaiah and he has to tell him this coal has touched your lips and now it has made you clean and in that moment of God's purifying fire cleansing him from his unrighteousness we see the second position of Isaiah a heart open if you're taking notes right heart open see the fire from the altar comes to us today through the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice who was upon the altar of the cross. And now as you accept Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit in fire to purify us. And when the burning coal of God touches his lips, God purifies Isaiah's heart and prepares him for the next leg of his journey. So when we are in difficult moments, if we're, when we're in hard places, some of the hardest places in our lives, I pray that our hearts, as we fall down before the Lord and recognizing his authority over all things because he's still on his throne, as we fall on our face and cry out to him, he meets us to do open heart surgery on us, to work in us, to purify us, to, to lift us up, to build us up again. And the journey that we see, the last position of Isaiah that he's in, is hands up. So he went face down, his heart became open, and then he moved to hands being raised. Verse 8 says, 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Another note to the Trinity. Who will I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Even in the most difficult season of Isaiah's life, he experienced the call of God on his life and surrendered all of it to God's purpose. In the presence of the king, Isaiah fell on his face, opened his heart, and lifted his hands. The title of my message this morning is Head, Heart, Hands. If you like alliteration, it'll help you remember. Falling on your face, opening your heart, lifting your hands. This is our accurate response when we encounter the presence of God. He lifts up his hands to the creator and says, here I am, you can send me. It's a quick transition, progression that we read through in just eight verses. It starts out with Uzziah the king, a great king is dead. All is lost. We're being invaded. We're being carried away. All that we held dear is being removed from us. And yet now he encounters the living God upon his throne. And at the end of that, he says, you can send me anywhere you want to send me. I was broken. It looked hopeless, but I encountered your presence. And now because I have your presence, I will go wherever you want me to go. Church, this is an encouraging message, hopefully, (laughs) for you. That whatever you might be experiencing over there, that as you come into the presence of God and you understand his authority and you recognize his glory and you see what he can do and what he desires to do in you, you would also respond and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Here I am. You can send me. I know when I get up from this place, when this vision stops, I'm still going to be in a world that's surrounded with brokenness. I'm still going to be around people who are, who are disobeying you. I'm still going to be in a city with its walls torn down and its goods being taken away and its people into captivity. And yet, here I am, you can still send me. Powerful. See, church, whatever hell has been thrown at you, whether it's from the consequences of your own actions like the people of Judah, or you're a victim of circumstance, like Isaiah experiencing the collateral damage of the poor decisions of the people around him, I pray that our response will always be of falling on our faces before God, opening our hearts to him, and lifting our hands and saying, God, whatever you want to do, I'm in for it. Wherever you want me to go, you can send me. Because this is what I believe, and this is the only... uh, this is what I, I believe that God, only God can do in our lives, and it's the fact that he can put purpose to our pain. You've heard it before. I didn't coin the phrase, but you can write it down all the same. God's the only one who can put purpose in our pain. So whatever you're going through or you've gone through or you're about to go through, it doesn't have to take your life. It doesn't have to take your joy. It doesn't have to take your peace. It doesn't have to take your freedom because God can give you a purpose in all that you're walking through. It doesn't have to stop you in your tracks. If you're able to fall on your face before God, open your heart, lift your hands to him, he can use your story to help others. And he can call them into right relationship too. It's profound. 
how God can do that. And I'm sure there are people here this morning, including myself, that think there are things in our past that wish we had, we had never gone through, wish that we had never experienced, and even swore to ourselves, I'll tell no one about that because of the guilt and the shame that we felt. And yet God is saying, if you'll fall on your face before me, you're saying, woe is me, I am undone, I am lost before a holy God. He would say, I see you, but I'm not going to leave you there. Come to me and I'll purify that. And then I'll cause you now to be a person who's able to speak about those things that happened to you. But not for your shame, but for my glory. And it'll set others free. Only our God can do that. Only our God can relieve the shame we feel and turn it into a praise for his name. He can cause purpose in our pain. We see it through Isaiah. And maybe, just maybe, I believe that he can do it in us today too. So my prayer for you, for us, this morning is that you'll have a new vision of the Lord today. One where you see him high and lifted up upon his throne, ruling over all of the stuff that's going on in your life. He is still on the throne. He's never been dethroned. The stuff, the chaos, the brokenness that you're experiencing right now has not dethroned God, and it will never dethrone God. And we need to remind ourselves today, God is still on the throne. I pray that our perspective of him would shift to see him high and lifted up. Why? Because it allows us to put everything else into proper perspective and somehow, someway, turning our pain into a holy purpose and calling us out of the difficulty into his marvelous life. Amen. As the worship team comes, we'll close with today's service. If I could have the prayer team up as well. God is calling us today to seek his face. If you're watching online right now and you want prayer, you can put that in the comment section right now. We'll begin to pray for you as well. But this morning, if this message ministered to you at all and there's something in your life that you're saying, I'm going through it right now, I'm in the thick of it, I'm experiencing some hard moments, but I, I need to be a person who learns to see God in proper perspective so that I can then cry out to Him, open my heart to Him, and lift my hands to Him, then I want to I pray together today. So if you'll stand to your feet this morning as the worship team begins to play. Let's just lift our hands right now. I want to pray over you, and then I'm going to invite you to come to pray. But Lord Jesus, we give you glory right now. We give you honor. We give you praise. Help us to see you more clearly right now, high and lifted up upon your throne. 
the angels of heaven declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with your glory. And I pray, God, that in this moment, in this place, God, that we would give you the glory that you deserve by lifting our hands to you, by opening our heart to you, and falling on our faces before you and saying, God, we are undone without you. We are lost without you. And we need you. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, would you just worship him for a minute? I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Do your work, Holy Spirit, right now in us. Do your work in us, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you. We need you. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit, and move on our hearts. God, come encourage your people. You're not going to leave them in that broken place. You love us so much that, God, even in our brokenness, even in our shame and our guilt, God, even in everything else that we might experience, God, you love us so much, you don't leave us there. You pour out over us your blessing. You sent your son to die to purify us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, to pull, pull us into your family and to set us free so that we become your messengers everywhere we go. I just pray, Lord, right now that you would work in our hearts. We give you all the glory. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it 